When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And listeners, we're back. <laughs> the Life and Times of Howard Carter, Volume 2. If you don't know what it is, which I don't, <laughs> go back and listen to the first episode of this series. But Marie... It's an archaeologist we like. We spent, no joke, 15 minutes saying back and forth to each other these English names. <laughs> so I just want you all to know, if we get them wrong, it's too bad. We're trying our best. It's not for lack of trying, man. We're trying our best. It's so, you know, I know that people with more successful, well, not that not that our podcast is not successful, but bigger podcasts get a lot of flack for saying names wrong. And I think there are certain people that just have a better um, aptitude for speaking, and that's why they do podcasts, unlike myself, who can barely get a sentence out of their mouth. Listen, th- my brain can only handle so much information. So much. And, and it's very little. And right now it's, it's very chuck, minimal. It's very minimal. Chuck, chuck right. full of random facts. Okay. We left off in the story of Howard Carter. He is a famous Egyptologist. We talked about his rise from, you know, um, a dad who essentially painted the portraits of rich pets for their owners to becoming, you know, so coming from a family that was like middle class for the time or sort of middle class to, um, really an important figure in Egyptology in his own right, really rising to prominence very quickly and then being kicked out of the archeological service of the British government because he stuck up for his workers in the face of some really drunk French tourists. Yes. But was saved by, uh, in a very pretty woman esque way <laughs> by George Edward Stanhope Molyneux Herbert. George Edward Stanhope Molyneux Herbert. The fifth Earl of Carnarvon. Lord Carnarvon. Yes. And that's where we're going to pick up this episode. All right. So, George, the fifth Earl of Carnarvon. Carnarvon? Carnivon. Carnivon was born in his family home, Highclere Castle, near Newbury, England, on June 26th, 1866. Now, those of you listening um, might know Highclere Castle because it is where Downton Abbey was filmed, another show whose name I was saying wrong for months. Why, wh- how were you saying it really fast? Downtown Abbey. I thought it was about inner city um. women living together. I had no idea what it was about. I had absolutely no. I'd have, I just, I had no idea. I'd watch idea. that. I'd oh, watch me that. too. Are you kidding me? It's an amazing. So like the one good thing about, I mean, if we have Downton Abbey fans out there, okay. We love you guys too. But the one really amazing thing about just knowing this is you can go and you can look to see that that's, it's still there. It is a splendid piece of wealth. It's amazing. It's a beautiful estate. It's, 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 a castle it's well preserved in there today but it's 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 a legit castle not like disneyland castle it's like a legit castle and that was actually his home 
Oh, it's crazy. And so this guy, so, okay, so he's, so uh, Lord Carnarvon um, essentially became super interested in Egypt, in, in Egyptian artifacts. Like a lot of rich, like a lot of rich people at the time, he got really interested in kind of collecting and hoarding these riches from other places. And so he, um, his collection actually of Egyptian artifacts would go on to be sold after his death in 1923 to the Metropolitan Museum of New York. Um, and it was sold because the United Kingdom has basically like a pretty high inheritance tax. Um, so what they call death duties. So he had to, his, his widow had to pay those. Um, so they did that by selling his Egyptian collection of artifacts. Um, however, what's kind of interesting is um, Howard Carter actually was the person that cataloged it. And so when he was going through it, he was saying, well, there's some stuff still left at the castle, but like, who cares? <laughs> and they refound them in 1987, which is insane. It was um, like, yeah, yeah. In the back of a cabinet, right? In some drawer somewhere, there's like, oh, here's like this cartouche or this, you know, like this scarab beetle or, yeah, oh, look, it's a gold artifact or something. But it's a mummy's head in the closet. It's the yeah. mummy's head in the closet. He just had the stuff stowed away, which is, again, sort of the vast I think illustrates some of the vast uh, size of his collection, but then also of, the, of his home. Yeah. Right? Like, like think about how big a house has to be for you to lose something for 60 years. Yes. For you to lose like Egyptian like, artifacts, right, like an artifact for 60, years. for 60. Or you just Ridiculous. forget about it. You're like, Oh yeah, I was in the cabinet. And like, yeah, I, I know I lose my house keys all the time, but I think, you know, things of relative value. You're like, yeah, I, I know where that is because that's that's in a safety deposit box or that's in a drawer. No, where you know where it's at. No, that's just in the cupboard. That's in like the the china cupboard. Yeah, ridiculous. In the in the, in the second parlor, <laughs> completely in the ridiculous. east wing. So this guy, so Lord Lord Carnarvon had kind of an interesting life before Egyptology as well. So initially, he was really interested in like racehorses, and then in uh, motorsports, which was just at the beginning of its infancy at this time. So he, um, at, you know, was really into, um, really into driving cars and driving them really quickly, um, at the time, which meant 20 miles an hour, which is which still is, great. Which is still great. Cause it's like only horses, right? Like it, he, he went from being like the next fastest thing was the racehorse. To something that can go 20 miles an hour. It's not bad. It's not bad. No, but which is hilarious yes. is because um, Usain Bolt, his fastest ever time is something like 25 miles per hour. Yeah. So this guy is like not even beating, not even beating Usain Bolt. And he kept getting brought before the, like brought before the courts. Like he's speeding. He's going too fast. It's dangerous. Um, yes. Well, especially, anyway. you know, 1860s or not, if this would be the turn of the century at this point, like the turn of the century, it was like, this was scandalous, you know, that this, this wealthy man. And it's like, it is sort of this almost nouveau riche kind of feel to it that he's, he's like a, a an early adapter with tech, right? He has to have the newest, biggest, shiniest, most collectible thing, which at that time would have been a car. Absolutely. 20 miles an hour. So essentially he, uh, so this guy is like a straight, um, a straight speed demon, right? <laughs> you know, just going crazy. And then he actually was, was struck almost invalid, um, by a car accident that he was in, in 1901. He was in Germany 
going too quickly, um, crashed into something essentially, and then um, was just sick for the rest of his life, right? Like yes. he just had very ill health, um, not just not doing great, right? Not doing great. Um, so eventually that led him to kind of, at the time, if you were prone to like, infect, I guess infection too, but you know, like we talked about in our history of surgery series, mm-hmm. medicine wasn't extremely advanced at the time. Not that it's extremely <laughs> advanced today either. Like it's, it hasn't really been that long. Um, but, you know, at the time they didn't know what they thought, like, you know, they still thought that like the weather, and I mean, the weather does kind of have an effect on health, of course, but they thought like, you know, the dampness of the English countryside um would would make you sick or would make you weaker or whatever. Mm-hmm. And although there's there's some like anecdotal evidence for that, you know, the idea that like if you go outside with a wet head, you'll get a cold, like that that has been disproven, right? All those other things like that. Um but anyways, because of that fear, Tell that to my mom. <laughs> because of that fear that. that um that he would get like he would catch a cold or he would get sick in the in the weather of the English uh countryside during the winters he began to summer or rather he began to winter, I guess I should say Mm -hmm. in Egypt. Um, And the first time he visited Egypt was in 1903. Yes. And again, this is only something wealthy people could do, right? Like to move somewhere or to go somewhere for part of the year based on your health wasn't an option for everybody. Right. Yeah, of course not. And, and like crazily, um, he gets to Egypt again. This is like, this is, so we're talking like 19, 1903, 1904, Mm -hmm. He gets to Cairo and he gets bored. <laughs> He's like, oh, I'm I'm experiencing something that like maybe a thousand people in my time will ever experience because of the difficulty of travel. He's on this, you know, it's almost like a grand adventure, right? And he's like, this mm-hmm. is boring. Well, but I like like how I envision him, and maybe this isn't the case, but he's clearly like a thrill seeker, right? Like he's a high adrenaline. He's kind of what I think of a stereotypical um, Indiana Jones figure is, is like he's drawn to high danger situations. He wants to go fast. And now he's sort of like he's he can't do that anymore. And it's it's boring to him. You know, it's like he's he doesn't know what to do with himself. It's. It's a little bit more of a sympathetic. I'm more sympathetic, but it's completely ridiculous. I don't I know. So I don't know. But anyways, so he gets he gets to Egypt. And he decides, you know what? I'm I'm sick of you know learning about this like new culture and new geography and everything else. I'm gonna start. Well, that's okay. That's not really fair. He he <laughs> decides to go into Egyptology, yes. which frankly is probably what I would do too. If I if I got like I don't know I. I don't know, was struck ill with the with the tuberculosis or whatever, with the mm-hmm. black lung, and mm-hmm. then I had to summer in Peru or something, I would probably also be very interested in learning about the local archaeological sites, right? Like I can I can see that part. Yes, um, but if you were if you were an earl from the turn of the century, those that that wasn't even a considered option. Like I think again, you were a colonial. Like this is you already yes. you already knew everything there was to know because you were English and you were English you were English royalty, you know. Not that there's anything wrong with being English, but, but there, there sort is of something. Is. There is something <laughs> wrong with being. There is something wrong with being royalty. Um. Anyways, so he he moves into uh, this grand hotel in Luxor called the Winter Palace, 
Um, the full title is the Sofitel Winter Palace Hotel. So he moves into there. Um, at the time, it was known as the old Winter Palace Hotel. So I guess it's always been the old Winter Palace. It's a palace. It's a um, castle. It's just another. It's another grand estate. Right, which is kind of interesting. Um, so he moves there and is kind of given a concession. He's he's told, you know, okay. So his buddy Lord Cromer is like, fine. We're gonna let you dig it something because we know you're oh, bored. George. We know you're rich. We're just gonna let you do this. Yes. Oh, and George, so, I know it's dreadfully, frightfully boring, frightfully <laughs> dull here, isn't it? I natives have no tea. Oh, <laughs> no tea. There's I'll, no I'll, wax. I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what, old boy. How about how about we? How about you dabble? Well, let's dabble in the dirt. Get all <laughs> hands dirty with some of this digging. Sorry. There's simply no wax left with which to straighten our mustaches. <laughs> um, My monocle scratched. I had to send. <laughs> I had to send home for a new one. <laughs> he, he, uh, so he's given. He's given a basically like an area that they're like you're not going to find anything here. <laughs> um, in in an area called the Sheik Abd Al Kurna. Um, and they're like, okay, fine. You want to be an archaeologist? You want to dig? Just go dig here. And they basically are like. <laughs> Here's a patch of sand. See what you can find. Yeah. Um, this is definitely a placate move. And what he's, and what he's, yeah. and what he's doing there, which is crazy is he's sitting there in a, in like a cage, like a net. He's in like screened a giant area. screened yeah. in net. So that flies and dust and stuff can't get him. Um, and he's just sitting there like watching his people dig. And As lords are sometimes want to do. Yes. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And the only thing they find in like six weeks is a mummified cat. Oh. <laughs> it's the only thing they find. But my other, my other favorite thing is sometimes in this description is sometimes he would be joined by his wife dressed for a garden party rather than the desert with charming patent leather, high heeled shoes and a great deal of jewelry. <laughs> so here's this, here's this couple, this very, affluent these, couple these fucking in this, idiots in the screened off cage right probably fanning themselves they're probably like somewhat dressed you know in this in the uh in the high in the high uh coteer of 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 uh of colonial safari you know like all in the white linens and everything else fanning themselves watching people dig for hours on end and the only thing they're gonna find is a mummified cat which is still like that's you know I at least it was something. It's kind of cool, but it's still really fun. Just thinking of him and his wife in their net. Some, I, don't, I don't know what her poor, name was. I mean, I'm uh, uh, yeah. Know, some poor much. some some poor Egyptian guy is excavating. <laughs> just like you know, yo these these goddamn people these cannot people. believe this. Can you believe how much they're paying us to dig sand? To this dig sucks. in the sand, and they're fanning, and she's like. Oh, George. No, it's oh, it's like... Again it's, with the digging, George. I just wish you would take up some croquet. Sorry. <laughs> why can't my husband be normal? Uh, um, why can't you be a yeah. normal earl? It's, it's, um, we're joking, but, like, it's pretty gross. <laughs> right? It's, like, it's, 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 like, legitimately pretty terrible. Yeah, it's, so, it's, it's legitimately colonialism, like, right? Yes. That's, that's it. That's, if you had to draw, like, a New Yorker cartoon about it, which, again, is pretty, pretty, uh... That's pretty privileged to come out of my mouth. But if you did, that's what it would be. Yeah. yeah. So. But did, did he give up? No, did, this did, did not. Did Earl give up? 
This did go not, home? This did not change. Essentially, they find the dead cat, and he's like, we got to get someone else here on the team. This is ridiculous. This is not working the way I expected. Um, so he... It, it it didn't lead to what they were expecting to find. Mm-hmm. He then comes back and is like, well, I need more people. Like I, I need someone smarter. Yeah. I, we need, we need more expertise here on what yes. I'm doing. And again, this guy, Lord Cromer, who is doing real work is mm-hmm. like, Oh my God, fine. Uh, I don't know how just Howard Carter. Yes. I don't know. <laughs> Howard Carter. Right. Well, it, it, in fact, it goes through another person named uh, Maspero who again was the kind sort of, of, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like the head there. Yeah, yeah, the the main benefactor for Carter before his fall from grace. And he's like, well, okay, we need, we got a rich idiot over here and we got a disgraced archaeologist over here. We'll put, we'll smash them together, right? We're going to, we're going to turn our two problems into one problem. But I will say the one thing I'll give up for Carnivon at this point is that he recognizes that more expertise is needed. He's, yes. he recognizes that he can't do this. That this is not his strong suit, which again, for an earl at that time in Egypt wasn't wasn't probably prevalent. Like they didn't think that they couldn't do it. Of course they could do it. They're digging in the dirt, you know, they're savages. Of course they're going to do it. As seen still with Troy and Schliemann, right? He's like, okay, I gotta find somebody who actually knows what they're doing. That's so, a hundred yeah, a hundred percent fair and completely correct, right? We're that's one thing. Yes. Bear Carter, if he had not found stuff in the sand, would have been like, screw it. I'm going to go to the Valley of the Kings and I'm going to wreck shit up. Right. This guy is like, well, maybe we're not doing it correctly. Maybe I need someone with more experience to guide me. Mm -hmm. You know, the the net thing is kind of funny, but, you know. He he's yeah, we're I think we're 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 definitely poking fun at him. But there's something different about Carnivon that. He recognizes something that other people didn't see at that time. So he, he was is, definitely a yes. product of of the High Empire, Emperor, Empire, <laughs> not the First Order Empire, but um, he's definitely a product of England at this time. But he seems like he also recognizes true work and true value. Yeah. So he he eventually will. So he'll bring on Howard Carter, and then actually he is given. So Carnarvon is given. Um, permission to work at a swan, mm-hmm. um, which is um, essentially a, another area of Egypt with a lot more promise to it. It's a, it's a bigger area that is a lot more likely to lead to interesting things, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Um, so essentially he begins excavation work in um, the West Bank of Luxor, which is in ancient Thebes. And so... They were working specifically in an area called Gurney, um, which was which was successful uh, beyond anyone's wildest imagination. So um, Carter and Carnarvon, or Carter through his work with Carnarvon, um, finds the only decorated tomb of an early 18th dynasty mayor of Thebes, and then also another tomb um, containing wooden tablets. And these are especially important because they include inscriptions with um, essentially like instructions for moral guidance from um, like a god emperor kind of, uh, they're called the precepts of Patahotep. Um, so a really important find at the time. Um, and so, you know, again, they kind of put these two guys together and they're successful right away. 
Yes, with a pretty sizable fine. But one of my favorite things is what he said about like he had to uh uh Carnivon had to go somewhere else. And it seems like he got permission, but I have a feeling he greased a lot of wheels to get there. And one of the reasons was he couldn't convince he had concerns about convincing his wife to stay a whole other two months at Luxor, which I think is kind of funny. She's out there in her jewelry and her high heeled shoes, and she's just like, "Oh, George, not not dressed I'm, for the, you know." And the servants are packing up her trunks and everything. You can just you can tell she's done with it. She's like, "I'm going back. I'm going back to mother." Ridiculous. So okay. um, I love that. No, it's great. It is it is truly yes. hilarious. So yes. um, the next couple of years. So okay, they make this one big discovery, and it's like, okay, mm-hmm. well now we're here. Now we're we're actually doing this work, and so the next couple of years are going to be even more, even more successful. And that's mm-hmm. what we're going to touch on after our first commercial break. You know, a lot can happen in seven minutes. And luckily that's how long it takes me to tell a story. My name is Aaron Califato and I'm the creator of seven minute stories. I'm proud to partner with evergreen podcasts. And I'd like to invite you to join me on this journey. I'm going to take you on some crazy roller coaster rides using my unique extemporaneous storytelling style. And together, we're going to try to make sense of the world, all through the art of storytelling and all in approximately seven minutes. So, Carter and Carter Vaughn kind of kicking butt right now. Um, they unearth a whole bunch of other important tombs, and these are private tombs. Um, so, the tombs of like, rich local landlords and you know what I mean? Like people important, like him. Yeah. Important people like Lord, like <laughs> Lord finding, Carnarvon, right? He's finding the ancient Egyptian versions of his Lordship. Just got yes. Ironic. In particular though, they find two temples um, that were previously considered to be kind of lost. Um, one of um, Ramses the fourth and the other of uh, Queen Hatshepsut, um, which yeah. are again, kind of, these are from the middle to new kingdom era of Egypt, um, an era that really was not well understood um, at this time period, right? They're really making ground be- groundbreaking discoveries here. Yeah, and documentation, um, especially on Queen, uh, I'm going to butcher her name. I shouldn't have even walked into it, especially on those two. The Queen, Queen had chefs not- it. <laughs> Ramses the fourth, yeah. Yes, exactly. Okay, so they have, they've had now two really successful kind of dig areas, right? Um, and then because of their success, they're being given the ability to move into other areas of more p- potential importance. And so one of them is they're allowed to move into the Nile Delta. However, that third bite at the apple will not work for them. Um, they're looking for, uh, they're looking for stuff at Luxor and, uh, Lord Carnarvon and his workers, about 50 of them will move on to Saka, which is again, an area in the Delta. However, it'll have to be abandoned. Um, because I love this quote, uh, quote, on account of the number of cobras and horned vipers that infested the whole area, mm. end quote. Mm-mm. So not doing great. Not no, <laughs> no amount of screened in cages are going to keep you safe from that. No, no, mm. no screens for the, no screens Mm-mm. for the vipers. No, but no screen. Yeah. That's, that's a problem right there. That's a occupational hazard is what I would venture. I would, I would say so. Um, so they then move into, uh, so again, now they're back in the Delta, uh, the next year, they don't find anything. They, they find some jewelry and stuff, but nothing really happens. Um, ultimately, however, what the goal was for the two of these folks, and again, 
remember, these are people who they kind of they kind of started off as not so not not considered to be very good. <laughs> well, right? yes. they're yes. they're kind of Carter has lost his 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 shine yes. carnarvon never really had shine in the area yes. because he was just coming here as an amateur yes um, however their work speaks for itself they're finding really important things right which must they're have just ticked everybody else off can't right? even imagine um but their goal was to be able to work in the valley of the kings which would give them access to the new kingdom royal necropolis mm-hmm. um you know this burial the burial sites of the pharaohs in, right. from the new kingdom. Which is pretty much like the show of archaeology, right? I yeah, mean, that's where which you're is like go the, to dig. the important one, right. Right? right? However, this area of Egypt was under the control of Theodore Davis, who was an individual who was not easy to please, not easy to, not easy to get to let you dig in his area. Right. It was so, owned by him too. He actually had the rights. Right. He right. He had the digging rights, or what was known as a concession, yes. to to be in that area. Um, now, Carnarvon and and Carter obviously want to go there, and so they figure, okay, well, what we're we're going to need more clout. We're going to need more, um, more bona results fides. to show. Yeah. Right. Yeah. More yeah. More, more bona fides. So, what they do is they start looking for tombs that they think would be of interest. And one they come up to ends up being the possible tomb of Amenhotep the first. Now, this is a really important tomb because it is the, it is the tomb of a Pharaoh and not only any Pharaoh, but it is the tomb of the first Pharaoh in the 18th dynasty of Egypt. Um, this is important or rather the second, the second, uh, Pharaoh in the 18th dynasty of Egypt, excuse me, um, Amenhotep I. This is important because this is the time when Egypt is at the peak of its power. This is really the the most important period of Egypt's uh, life cycle, essentially, as far as as far as archaeologists are kind of concerned at the time. Mm-hmm. It's and, like the height of civilization at this point. And this unquote, is when yeah. this is the dynasty known as the Tutmosid dynasty. Um, named after the four pharaohs who will take the name Tutmos, um, including King Tut. So this is important. This is this is a really, really big deal for them to have found this area. Now, it's a joint tomb, so that means that it's with the pharaoh and his mother, Amos Nofretiri, um, and it has a bunch of stuff in there, although over time it has been robbed. And in mm-hmm. some ways, all of this is grave robbing, but this was grave robbing that was then like sold to the private antiquity market or whatever. Right. Yeah. So it's not great. Yeah. And it's more like robbing as in, you know, it's it's not trying to preserve any of the artifacts within the tomb. Like they're going in for things of considerable value that are made out of precious metals. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, some of the things that they find in particular are a blue. It's it's called a large heart scarab um, and some other things that included like just, you know, vessels and pottery and all kinds of cool stuff. Yeah, and it's more like artifacts of the time that aren't that are documentation, right? This is sort of like they're they're finding more substantial documentation about this high period of Egyptian culture. And not so much, you know, gold and gems, but actual history. I think is the important the other really important part of this uh discovery. Yes, absolutely. So interestingly, or what's really cool is um this really is the first royal tomb that Carnarvon will discover. 
it leads him to just kind of again kind of refall in love with Egypt and its its whole uh its whole mystique and in, in being there working on this. Mm-hmm. Um and so their kind of fire is lit and in good news for Carter and Carnarvon, Theodore Davis um decides the Valley of the Kings, there's nothing left there. And this is really what allows them to now begin their next excavation efforts. Mm-hmm. So Carter and Carnivon discovered this tomb of Amenhotep the first in 1914 on February 23rd, 1915 Theodore Davis dies. So kind of good news for those two, not such good news for Davis, <laughs> but like we said before, no one liked Davis. So it's, it's fine. Um, <laughs> what's nice though, is that at, before he dies, like a couple months before he dies, Davis completely abandons kind of the digging rights to the Valley of the Kings. Yeah. So he just leaves it open to anybody. Yeah. Thinking they found everything. There's nothing left. Right. And this paves the way for Carter and Carnarvon. So seven months or a couple months before his death, Davis gets rid of his concession. um, And then he'll die on February 23rd, 1915. February 8th, 1915. So like a couple of days before Davis dies, um, they start working. And so they began to work at a tomb of Amenhotep III in the Valley of the Kings. Now, the reason that this was chosen, and frankly, the reason that Davis thought this area was already all tapped out already, was because a lot of the Valley of the Kings was plundered by uh, by kind of unscrupulous antiquities dealers and, you know, people selling stuff. So... The reason Carnarvon wanted to look in this tomb in particular was because Carter in 1912 had found um, three bracelets made of carnelian, which carnelian is like this really pretty red semi-precious gemstone. Um, They found these bracelets and they thought, well, these look like the kind of adornments that are on royal mummies, right? They're on the tombs or from the tombs of pharaohs. So they thought that if that was found there, Perhaps there's more because the rest of it never made its way to the marketplace as far as they could tell. So Carter and Carnarvon are in the tomb of Amenhotep III. They find more stuff, right, which they thought they would. Um, They found um, more kind of original stuff. They found a chamber within the tomb from a well um, and found fragments of stuff like serpentine, calcite, faints, uh, wooden shabtis, broken vessels, pieces of ornamental uh, kind of jewelry and stuff, a buttload of beads, sequins, amulets, all the stuff you'll find in your high school girlfriend's bedroom, <laughs> right? Just all over the place. It's looking uh, great. And so they're, what, they're, what it proves is like, there's still something there. I mean, there's clearly a lot of, um, a lot of digging or a lot of plundering that had been done, but there's all of this architecture and, tombs and uh chambers that still haven't been haven't been exactly excavated yes they're finding a michael's worth (laughs) of sequins and beads right which is still something right it's still like it's not exactly encouraging but it's like oh there's it's there's more here there's more here there's There's more more here and there's chamber and there's chambers and things that other people didn't find because again when these people are going in there they're not going in there with like a 50 person team to dig out all of the sand and excavate, right? They're going in, they're smashing and grabbing, right? Yes. So, yes. um, So they could have missed something. They're not the detailed oriented people that Carter was. 
No, right? no. But then <laughs> the detail-oriented, some would say annoying folks. Annoyingly detail-oriented. But then yes. at this period, World War One is now in full effect and is beginning to affect Egypt. Uh, yes. Lord Carnarvon was stranded in Egypt during this period, which again, like, I guess, you know, he doesn't want to, um, it doesn't make sense necessarily for him to return home to his, uh, to the, to, to high, to high Clare castle. Um, just because again, war is occurring. He's safer just to stay put. But what's interesting is Carter himself, um, puts a hold on archaeology and Egypt and diverts more and more of his time and energy to the war effort as a diplomatic courier. So he's, he's, you know, sort of taken away from, from, it's almost like they go on, I don't want to say hiatus, but it's now wartime and they have to find out, you know, and they have to do other things during this period to, to pass the time since he's Carter's actually, uh, actually engaged as a, as a courier, uh, a courier. Yeah, and and just so for the reason that Carnarvon is stranded in Egypt is because Egypt is is technically, although you know France and in the UK and these other places are kind of trying to carve out their own little colonial areas there, um, Egypt is de facto under the control of the Ottoman Empire. So they are um, they're not on our side in World War One. <laughs> this is true as well. Yes, yes. Yeah. So it's not not a great not a great time. In, a, in high school once, Marie, we Uh-oh. were reading a book about, mm-hmm. I forget what the book was, very, very, very boring. And we were reading about something and my the teacher asked, I used to do this thing in high school where I wouldn't read the books, but I would pretend to have. And it often worked out very well for me. Oh, um, God. And so in one class, the teacher asked about what we thought the Ottoman represented in some book. <laughs> And she called on me because I wasn't paying attention. Of course not. And I, I went into this whole big thing about the Ottoman Empire. Uh, and she was like, yeah, but we are talking about a couch. <laughs> That's not a true it's, story. That is you a true totally story. 100%. 100%. No, I can get people up. on Facebook to confirm it. Oh that is a 100% God. a true story. You're such a, Anyways. Anyhow. <laughs> All right. So um, 1917, Earl of Carnarvon asked to join the Egyptian Exploration Fund. Yes. Which yes. is great. Now, what the Egypt Exploration Fund was essentially um, was they were this group that was, it was a nonprofit organization at the time, or I guess it is now, I should say, um, which was essentially there to protect and look for the antiquities of Egypt. Yes. So. Yes. Um, Preservationists. More more towards, yes. they, I, they weren't so much as preservationists then, but it's the most preservationist you're going to see at that time period, I would think. And so he essentially becomes, he becomes an important member. Yeah. Um, he's helping to like raise donations and send out. Um, becomes vice president. Yeah, he's, yeah. He's sending out like newsletters or not like newsletters, but like he is sent, he is sending out the word to people mm-hmm. that there is interesting stuff in Egypt that's worth studying. And really it's part of this work that makes Egypt such a fascination at the time. Um, or, you know, and kind of sets up the field for, when King Tut's tomb is discovered, there to be like a media sensation. Yes. And so, he's, he's, he's raising money with his other rich friends, right? To yes. keep it going. He's donating his, the money from his own, uh, from his own family himself. 
um, just to, you know, just to make sure that there's, there's an awareness and um, preservation of Egypt's past, which is actually fairly interesting for that time period, considering that that wasn't, it seems like Carnivon kind of went through this entire, you know, from 1914, when he actually found this first royal tomb, even there, there wasn't things of value in it. He really started to, I feel like, have a, a bigger appreciation and maybe a bigger shared kinship with Carter himself about Egypt itself, right? And it wasn't so much of him being bored and just wanting a hobby anymore as he all of a sudden actually opened himself up to a new experience and, and this is what came out of it. It's how I'd like to interpret it. Although that's quite a bit of supposition, but I think it's I think it's relatively true. Like you don't dedicate your time and money and and try and raise the funds of others unless you really believe in something. No, I, I think that's true. I think that's hundred percent true. Um, yeah, yeah. I think overall, ultimately, what we're going to find, and we're going to, you know, the work that Carnivon does ultimately is a lot more beneficial. I would argue, I guess, than our initial introduction to him as a rich board guy would have you suggest. Yes. Right. So, um, okay. Redemption arc. There is redemption. arc. Yes. So 19, 1917. Yes. Carter is be- able to begin excavation again in earnest. And what they're really focusing on is again, they're focusing on the Valley of the Kings. Now we didn't really mention this before, but why is it called the Valley of the Kings? It's called this because this was an area, this was a necropolis, so a giant facility of tombs. But it was specifically made to be a necropolis for the royal line of the new dynasty of Egypt. Right? The new the new kingdom of Egypt. So again, these are people from like 1539 to 1075 BC. It begins with the tomb of Tutmose I. Um, and ends with Ramses the like 10th or 11th. Um, so this is, again, these are the rulers from the most important period in Egyptian history in terms of their power, mm-hmm. their wealth, their ability to build things and everything else. But they had never found the tomb of Tutankhamun. They had never found this tomb. And they weren't, you know, and, and they were, it was frustrating because, again, they, they have from other sources this list of kind of the rulers, right? The pharaohs of this era of Egyptian rule, but they're missing some of the tombs. Mm-hmm. So they decide we are going to start looking for this tomb of Tutankhamun and they find nothing for years. So 1917, they start by 1922. Lord Carnarvon is like, I have spent so much money. I have spent so much time. We haven't found anything. Yes. Maybe. Davis was right. Which is just very bleak. Yes. So Carnarvon summons Carter to Highclere and is ready to tell him we're, we're not financing the, the search for King Tut anymore. We're yes. done. Yes. And Carter comes, comes in and, and actually makes a appeal saying, listen, Carnarvon, please, please continue fi- financing our work yourself. This is no longer like the Egyptian fund or anyone else financing this stuff. He's like, if we pay for it ourselves, anything we find will go to you. Mm-hmm. And I swear this one, it'll, it'll work. Whatever we find will be yours anyways, but I swear it'll work. Carnarvon is like, well, fine. Actually, you know, this guy he actually even says, I will pay for it myself. Let me dig. 
I will I will pay out of my own pocket for this last season. We've got to make one more attempt. So it's like after this, there is no more money. And Carter's even saying that he and he's not wealthy by any stretch of the imagination. No, he's like, I'll have no I'll more money. I'll have no more money. <laughs> I'll put this in. I'll go broke over it. I'm so committed to this. Please just hang on for one more, one more season. Uh, and anything I find is yours. Yes. So Carnarvon is like, man, this guy, no, this guy's got spoke. <laughs> Stop this it. This guy's, this guy's, this guy's got the juice we need. <laughs> So decides, fine, you you can go back and I'll even pay for it. You know, I'll, I'll help fund it. It's all good. So Carter goes back to Egypt, begins his, his what he believes will be his final yes. season in 1922. And November 4th, 1922, three days after beginning his, what he thought would be his final year mm-hmm. of gigs with Carnarvon in the Valley of the Kings, he discovers a sunken staircase in the sand. Which is amazing. Three days. Like, he's basically, he's like, okay, this is it. I don't get another shot. This is the last season. And then this tiny amount of time goes by and they're like, boom. So he sees these stairs and above the stairs is a stamp with large oval seals on it. Carter can't read the name. He can't read what it says in the seals. But he tells the workers, refill the stairs. We're going to mark, mark it off. We'll come back to it tomorrow. And then goes out to send a telegram to Carnarvon back in England. The Carnarvon telegram will become famous in archaeology. And it says, quote, At last we have made wonderful discovery in Valley, a magnificent tomb with seals intact. Recovered same for your arrival. Congratulations. End quote. And that's where we'll pick up next episode <laughs> when the tomb of King Tut swallows up Carter and he is sent back to Agrabah. Stop that! Without the red ruby. You are just such, you know, like you mix up Disney in real life so much. I don't know how. I don't know how. I don't know how <laughs> you can genre mix like that. Um... I'm, I'm like the hunchback of Notre Dame up here. <laughs> Katie! <laughs> oh, my God. All right. Anyways, dear listeners. Anyways, we'll be back next week with another fascinating episode on Howard Carter. The final episode. Good night. Thank you again, dear listeners, for listening to the Mad Scientist podcast. I have been your host, Chris Cogswell, joined by my co-host, Marie Mayhew. If you'd like to contact the show, please send us an email at themadscientistpodcast at gmail.com. That's all one word. You can also follow us on Twitter at madscientistpod or at teamgiantsquid for Marie. And of course, you can see us on Facebook, on Instagram, and all over the internet as the Mad Scientist Podcast. And again, our logo is the one with the pumpkin head, so it's easy to see. Mm-hmm. If you've enjoyed the show tonight, please consider supporting us on Patreon where the money that you give to us will help us to promote this show further, to make it better, and just to spend more time making it. Because we love doing that. We do love doing that. Our logo was designed by Carrie Shaheen. Our web design is done by Desdemona Howard. Woo-hoo. And our sound design is done by Jake Cardinal. 
Thanks again for listening. <laughs> Thank you. This has been a damn it chippy production. Carnervan. Carnivon. Carnivon. Carnervan. Carnervan sounds really. No, it's not Carnervan. It's Carnivon. Let's go. Going with Carnivon. Yes. Oh my God. Let's just start again. I can't. Now you've got me doing it. Carnervon. Carnervon. No, no, I was going to pronounce it right. I was just like, I know you were. Is but what the hell? Like what? (laughs) All right, let's do it again. February eighth, eight nineteen. See, I can do. I can do this part, Marie. Yes. Marie, can we redo this section? <laughs> it's been a fucking train wreck. Okay. Okay. Oh. Oh. We're recording, Jake. We're recording. It's going great. Jake. How you doing, baby, Jake? Jakey, baby. My mom says, hey, Jake. In a world infatuated with comic fandom comes a show to help us remember the talents that have inspired us. Whoa, 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 cut. Oh, come on. It wasn't that bad. It's a bit dramatic. Let's just tell them about the show, guys. We are the Canned Air Podcast. Join us weekly for a comedic trip through pop culture. We also welcome some cool comic creators, as well as some of the voice and screen actors that help shape your childhood. Find us on cannedairpodcast.com and on the Evergreen Podcast Network.